You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. So let's talk about Lent just a little bit. Three aspects of Lent. This is our heritage in the church through centuries that we take 40 days before Easter, which is symbolic or related to Jesus's 40 days of fasting, being tempted in the desert by the devil. But we do it before Easter, before the resurrection. And so there's some things you want to focus on in that season. Prayer, fasting, and giving. So I mentioned prayer before we started, but I'd like to mention something about fasting. Fasting is abstaining from something to make room for something else. So it's doing without so that something else can be within. It's a no so that you can have a better yes. I just thought of one thing for each of these. I thought of prayer, and I gave you the the acronym that was shared with me as a youth. For fasting, I just thought, you know, I just need to look at my calendar, and, and the Lord needs more time in my life. If he's my first, then he needs my time. So I just thought, I need to look at my calendar and see what I can say no to or abstain from that the Lord might have more of my time. Um, In the church, there are people that they do away with something that's a pleasure to them, something like some show they like to watch, some food they like to eat. There's not a magical thing that you can do. What it is, it's saying, Father, I'm doing without this so that I might have more for you. So I encourage you to pick something and uh, try it. And I just want to encourage you on this, and I'm not just talking about fasting food or just abstaining from something to have room for something else, but don't let the devil discourage you, okay? If you start at 12, and by 1230, you're already at Dairy Queen eating a Sunday, just eat the Sunday. Just start over. Just say, I'm making room. I'm not doing Sundays anymore for this season of Lent. All right, we're not earning anything from God. He already gave us all of his love when we were his enemy. We can't earn any more of his love. It's more like this. It's more positioning yourself to be in the flow of what he's doing. It's a position. The fasting moves us from one place to another. And so if we get out of place, we shouldn't just sit down and have a pity party and go, I blew it, so I'm done. No, just get back in the place. So if you miss it for a second or a minute or an hour or a day, just say, Lord, give me the grace, help me, and then reposition yourself. We're not earning from God. It's not like, oh, you blew the test, got to wait till next year and take summer school. And then thirdly, I'd just like to tell you that this month we are giving uh, a hygiene drive to give to the food pantry. So in almsgiving or giving to the poor through money, through acts of service, or through acts of uh, what the church calls charity or love, there's a lot of opportunity for that. You may just want to be extra nice to that difficult person at work and just give them love when they don't deserve it, all right? I mean, you need to be doing that all the time. Jesus kind of talks a lot about it. But you may want to do a little extra. But if, if you're looking for something to give, pick up some hygiene items or some items for babies. We're going to collect them all month, and then we're going to take them to the food pantry. So if you don't know, you're like, well, I got the prayer. I know what I'm going to do for fasting. Not sure what I'm going to do for giving. Well, you're going to give money to the church. (laughs) And uh, if I say anything way off tonight, it's going to blame it on fexafenidine. That's my allergy medicine. But if you don't know what to give, you want to give something to the food pantry. You can bring that What they tell us there, we do this every six months, what they tell us there is that they get sources for food, and that goes really fast in our community. 
but they don't have a lot of sources of income for hygiene products. So we usually buy about $150 worth of toothpaste and toothbrushes. And then on top of that, whatever you guys are able to bring. So there's some things to kind of practically plug into Lent. Are you good with that? All right. So many churches during Lent, they have scripture readings for each day or each week. I went in and being me, I didn't pick the one for today. I picked one from another day. But I'd like to read this one to you. This is from the book of Jonah. You may be familiar with the story. The Lord asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and to tell him if they don't repent, he's coming in judgment. And his judgment is to wipe them off the face of the earth. You may remember the story from Children's Church. Jonah says, no. Gets on a boat going the opposite direction. The Lord's about to sink the boat with a storm. They, Jonah confesses he's the problem. They throw him overboard. He says, throw me overboard so they can live. A whale swallows him for three days. He has instant uh, opportunity for repentance. I'm just summarizing in my version. And then we pick the story up there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, set out for the great city of Nineveh, and announced to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah made ready, and he went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Now Nineveh was an enormously large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began his journey through the city, and he had not gone but a single day's walking, announcing 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Has the Lord ever asked you, maybe you sensed it, say something to that guy. Man, I'm hoping I don't get this message. 40 days and your city's going to be destroyed. But this is exactly what the Lord had told him to announce. So he announces it. He hadn't gone through a single day of announcing. So he's got two days left to get through the city. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they proclaimed a fast. And all of them, great and small, meaning wealthy or poor, educated or uneducated, they put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He laid aside his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. Now sackcloth and ashes in this culture are a sign of repentance. They're a sign of saying, I was wrong. I was, I've been living my own way. I'm going to wear sackcloth, which is very uncomfortable, unless you're in a potato sack race at field day, and then it's still uncomfortable, but at least there's a purpose. And then they sat in ashes, which are a sign of repentance too. And the king even did this. He proclaimed throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. And this is his decree. Neither man nor beast, cattle or sheep, shall taste, meaning eat, anything. They shall not eat, nor shall they drink water. Man and beast shall be covered with sackcloth and call loudly to God. Every man shall turn from his evil way and from the violence he has in his hand. The proclamation from the government of this community, this great, mighty city, on hearing the word of the Lord, you need to change your ways or destruction is coming. And the king says this, who knows? Maybe God would relent and forgive. Maybe he will withhold his blazing wrath so that we will not perish. I want to pause for a moment. How bad do you think it has to be? The Bible says it's destined for men to live, to die, 
and then the judgment. How bad do you have to be living for God to decide, I'm not waiting for the dying part. We're going from you've lived and now the judgment. I mean, how bad does it have to be? I have no concept for this. Because the world, if you read the, the certain reports, I mean, there's horrible things that happen in our world. And yet the Lord has not come with fire and destroyed it. What's going on in Nineveh that the Lord cannot wait for them to die? He just says, look, you're either going to change or I'm coming. And my fire is going to purify this place by taking you out of it. What kind of people must they have been in Nineveh? What kind of evil and violence must have been in their hand, as it says here from the king's mouth? How great and terrible must the way they were living have been for God to say, no, I've got to do it now in 40 days. I don't know if I even want to reflect on it. I don't know if I want to ponder on it. Billy Graham said one time, God's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah uh, apology if he doesn't judge America. He was speaking of America's sin. There are places in the world where terrible things go on. And yet, maybe you could say they haven't reached the level of Nineveh because God hasn't come yet and taken them off the face of the world. I want to, in some way, understand that the sin, the evil, the violence in Nineveh was so great that God was going to destroy it. And in the side of that, or at the same time of that, how great is the love of God that he would send someone to warn them, that he would send someone with a second chance, that they deserve, that they deserve the death, they obviously knew something about God because all he has to do is announce it. They don't go, what God, which God, what are you talking about? How great must the love of God be that a city this huge with this sin stacked up to heaven that God would say, go warn them before I come. And somehow mercy and hope is struck inside the king's heart and he says, we're all going to repent. We're all going to fast. We don't deserve it, but let's just hope maybe God will forgive us. Maybe we won't perish. But he says, we're going to repent regardless. The verses continue. When God saw their actions by how they turned from their evil way, he turned or repented. In this terminology, repentant doesn't mean he repented from doing something wrong. It means he turned from his course of action to a different course of action. He repented of the evil or the destruction that he had planned and threatened to do to them. He did not carry it out. You could say they changed God's mind. It's probably better to say they obeyed his warning, and so he didn't have to follow through with his consequences. How great must the love of God be that it can turn a heart, that it can turn a city, that it can turn the utmost evil and hatred and violence to a city that would say, no, we're going to do it God's way. We're going to repent. Let's have hope in that. What do you say? Yes. How great is the love of God? So what I'd like us to do
As many churches do during Lent, and a lot of churches do, even not during Lent, I'd like us to have a responsive reading. If you're able to, would you stand? This is going to be from Psalm 51 for repentance, and you can sit if you need to. Just, nobody's getting extra credit. But we're going to read the Word of God. I'm going to read in blue, and we'll all read together in white. This is called a responsive reading, and this comes to us from Psalm 51, several of the verses between 1 and 17. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all of our iniquities. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. For you will not delight in sacrifice or we would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. Our sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Amen. You may be seated. So in correlation to the verses in the Old Testament where the Lord relents and changes because of the action that he sees in the people, a turning of a heart. How great must the forgiveness of God be, which comes to us in the shed blood of Christ, that it can wipe away our sin when it has been piled so high up to heaven that God must judge it. How great must Jesus' sacrifice be that it can be justified for God to forgive a city of that much trouble? What is in Jesus' blood that can make up for, pay for, redeem, erase that much sin? The Bible says he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus in Luke chapter 11, talking of his life while he's preaching through town and town. Still more people gathered in the crowd. Jesus said to them, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. People were following Jesus and he would heal somebody. And then they'd come and they'd say, what's he going to do next? What can you do? He'd feed a multitude and they'd show up for breakfast the next day. What are you going to give us? What will you do now? And in response to this, just give me more and show me more and do more. And I'm sure I'm not articulating it correctly. He says, this generation wants a sign, but the sign that it's going to get is the sign of Jonah. I don't know everything that the sign of Jonah means, but I know from the story we just read, it means repent. It means turn from your wicked ways and turn to God. It means stop going in the direction of evil and turn to God's direction. The sign of Jonah is a sign of repentance and a sign of turning and hoping for the mercy of God. Jesus continues. He says, just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so the son of man will be to this generation. 
What was Jonah in the middle of the city? What was he doing? He was announcing the word of God given to him. You must repent of your sin or judgment is coming. You have 40 days. Turn from your sin or judgment is coming. You have 40 days. Jonah became a sign. He became the word of God in the middle of a city that had no concern for God. And Jesus said, just like that, I'm going to be for this generation. So Jesus is saying, I'm the greater Jonah. I'm on the earth to say, turn to God, repent, come back to God, or judgment is coming. So in all of the beautiful things that Jesus does, one of the most beautiful, beautiful would be to say, you're not where you need to be. You're headed for death and you need to turn around to life. You've rejected God and you need to receive him. Although it's beautiful to raise a dead man from the grave, to help a blind man see, to go into a man's house and heal his daughter from the bed, it's more beautiful that when people are living and headed toward death, that Jesus would say, turn and seek the Father. He said, Jonah came. He said, I've come to this generation like Jonah. Luke 11 continues. He says, at the judgment, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation and she will condemn them. You might be wondering, who's the queen of the south? Jesus explains a little more. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is greater, something greater than Solomon here. So Jesus is going back into history when kings and queens would come to hear Solomon said to be the wisest man who ever lived. And they'd come to hear his wisdom. And Jesus is saying, she's going to come out of her grave and condemn this generation because Solomon was only a man with wisdom, but I'm the son of God with wisdom. And here I am greater than Solomon. Why aren't you seeking my wisdom? Why aren't you coming to my word? Why aren't you coming to me? You just want this or you just want that here's the sign for you i'm wisdom come to me and seek it jesus would say there's greater than solomon here and then he continues and that's be the last verse at the judgment the men of nineveh will arise and they'll say to this generation jesus was speaking to his generation while he was on the earth but then it's in the word of god so it speaks to us also he says at the judgment the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented. So he's saying that at the end of it, the men who were in so much sin that God had to send Jonah because 40 days the destruction was coming and they heard the word of the Lord and they sat in sackcloth and ashes and they heard from a man what God said and they repented. And Jesus said, but I'm greater than Jonah and I'm preaching and you're not repenting. And so he says, probably with a broken heart, this generation will be condemned because it won't repent. And it only took a man who didn't even want to go do the job to turn Nineveh and I'm the son of God and they won't even turn. And so in this season of Lent, it would be great for us to take a moment. This is not what you read about for church growth. This is not what you read about, oh, we need a positive this or a positive that, and I'm all about hope and all of that. Listen, if we're sick and we don't get treatment, then there's no hope. If we're on the wrong path and someone doesn't turn us around, then there's no hope. So the hope is this, the greatest has come and he's walked among us 
And he's left his word with us. And he calls us to a different place. Max Lucado said it like this. A little kid was in the playground. He had fallen down, had dirt all in his mouth. He was crying. His knees were skinned up. And the dad said, come on, boy. Picks him up. The boy's crying. He's hurting. And the dad says, let's go get some ice cream. But on the way to the ice cream, which was meant to cheer him up and to turn his day around, he said, but first, let's wash all the rocks out of your mouth and all the dirt out of your mouth. Otherwise, he's going to be eating the same rocks he had just fallen in mixed with the ice cream. To me, it's such a simple picture of God wanting to pick us up from where we are and take us to somewhere better. But there's some cleaning up in the process. There's some mercy in there. There's a loving father who scoops us up and takes us to a better place, but he doesn't want to take us with all the mess that's still on us. So although it feels heavy, and oh, it's heavy, it, I feel it. And maybe you don't, and maybe that's great. I think this is the message for us. I think Jesus thought it was the message for our generation. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized. They would follow John's baptism. They'd be washed in water as a symbol of being created in new life. And they would come and they would follow Jesus. They would go a different direction. They had been following their life and now they're following Jesus's life. I'm thankful for the one who's greater than Jonah. I'm thankful for the one who's greater than Solomon. I'm thankful for God's son. Oh, but I need to repent. I need to change my ways. I need to be washed. I need to be picked up. I need to be cleaned. We need the love of the Lord to touch our life. Would you agree? And it's his mercy that comes. And it's not that we need to be Jonah and go tell somebody else what they need to do. It's that we need to hear the word of the Lord and we need to change. And I'm talking to the people that come to church on Wednesday night. Like that's the best of the best, really. But we could all search ourselves and say, Lord, like that Psalm 51 says, search me and try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. I want hope. I want upbeat. I want a lively message where everybody feels welcome. But we're in a season of Lent. We're in a season of preparation. We're in a season of sitting down solemnly and going, what is my life right now? And where does it need to be? Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to carry the cross. My sin is going to be put onto him. What does that mean? And we need to consider it. And in the considering of it, we get to see how great God's love must be. That I should have died, but because of love, he died in my place. That I should have been beaten and punished, but because of love, he was in my place. And so that heavy looking at our sin and repenting, it leads us to this beautiful place of understanding God's love even better. Who is God that he reaches to the lowest place, that he cleans us up, that he comes for us? How great must his love be that we could be in a wicked and sinful generation, but that he could be sent to bring us back to God? I'll play a couple of songs. At 8 o'clock, I'll pray so that you can get your kids and be dismissed. And we'll probably play a couple of songs after if you need to sit and think and reflect. One greater than Solomon has come. One greater 
then Jonah has come. Lord, in these moments, like a surgeon would do, would you go in and operate on our hearts so that we might be whole and healthy, so that sickness may not reign, remain in us, so that death may not have its way in us, but so that we could be clean. In your mercy, Lord, come and revive us and renew us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.